inside your local coffee shop. Sporting a main bun and facial hair. Somehow he believes, although he has no job, that by his thirties he will be a millionaire. M I L L E N N I A. Well, welcome to the August version of the Equipping webinar. My name is Nathan, and I'm the director of Equipping Apologetics here at Watermark, and, and one of the hosts of this webinar. And I'm joined also by Snyka Spalding on on here as well, and I'm the director of Women's Equipping and Curriculum here at Watermark Community Church. Yeah, and then our questions moderator is yes, Sylvia Bayman here, the stewardship and equipping coordinator. And yeah, I get to be interacting with you guys on that questions feature. And then we're joined today our our guest panelist is the director of college ministry here at Watermark Community Church and is a longtime friend of mine, um, well-respected, definitely by our community here, and uh, does has been doing a great job with our uh, college students and, and college ministry, is a huge Clemson fan. Um, yes. So his football scene is, season is nearing. I'm sure you're gearing up for Very exciting. Yeah, Very exciting. But, but we're joined by Adam Tarno. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, man. I'm really excited to be it. here. Yeah, excited cool. to be here. So today we're going to talk about the millennial generation. And, uh, you know, you, you read the news, you look at social media, you look at, you know, we were talking just prior to this, you look at guys trying to climb Trump Tower, you know, and uh, you see some some things about this generation that can sometimes cause you to either scratch your head or make you laugh. And so as we think about interacting with a, a, a generation that's coming behind Gen Xers and baby boomers and these other generations, um, you know, how do we best understand these people and these people? I don't want to sound like bad. You know, I understand these people. Just <laughs> for the record, them, Sylvia yeah. and I are, are these yeah, people. Yeah, we so have millennials, two millennials in the room in with here. us. Yeah. Proud millennials. But, but how do you best understand a group that, that may be different from you and uh, to do so effectively? So, Nika, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about generations, it's something that really became a hobby of study when I was in school. And then as I got into the ministry, I realized over or close to half of the women that I'm ministering to here at Watermark are millennials. And Adam, much the same to you. So before we even jump into yeah. the marquees of it, let's go ahead and define what is a millennial. So my definition of millennial is really just anybody who's younger than me that I perceive as selfish. <laughs> so, and that's uh, a good functioning definition. Yeah, can be you know. seven-year-olds. Sure. Could be 27-year-olds, sure. just yes. anybody younger than me. No, it really, uh, there's some debate on where the years are, but I think for the purpose of our discussion today, we'll say anybody born between 1980 and 2000. I know, Naki, you got a lot of other Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a just so to give you an idea, there's 16 to 36 year olds, which, like we said, Sylvie and I fall into that. And so this generation is uh, there's been a lot of ink spilled on them. And so there there's data about them that we know. And so one of the things about this generation, they're incredibly optimistic. Uh, 41% say that they're satisfied with the way things are going in this country, which is fascinating because this is the same generation who saw 9-11, they saw Hurricane Katrina, they've seen terrorist attacks, they've seen Columbine, they've seen a lot of heartache in our country and yet are overwhelmingly as a group optimistic. Um, they are also a very tolerant group in terms of minorities or different lifestyles or what would be at one time considered off the mainstream. They're incredibly tolerant of that. Part of that is because they are more diverse than any other generation we've had in America. Um, those above the age of 30, it's typically 70 percent are non-Hispanic uh, white, whereas in the millennial generation, it's 60 percent. And so you can eat just 10 percent in one generation is a big jump. Not only that, 11% of millennials are born to an immigrant parent. And so when you think of diversity and values that are in intrinsically great in that, that comes with this generation. 
this is the me generation is probably what you've heard people talk about in terms of self-expression. Uh, 75% have a social networking site and the other 25% are just too cool apparently to have it. But, uh, you know, but they, they post videos of themselves online. 38% have one to six tattoos. And so you think about how you present yourself to the world. What are you showing the world? This self-expression uh, thing is, is very true of millennials across the board. And they're never far from their phone. They do not like to talk on them, uh, but texting, tweeting, all of these things, and, and over 80% sleep with their phone by their head. And so you talk about a connected generation. Um, this is this generation. And so, and then one of the last things I would just say is they're incredibly intelligent. They are scoring higher on IQ tests. Sylvie and I can attest to that. We are much smarter than everyone else in this room. Um, but no, they're, they're an incredibly educated group. Yeah, perhaps the most educated group we've seen in America where uh, education has been a priority from legislation down and millennials have been able to take advantage of that. And so you see, um, although debt with, with college is rising as well with this correlation, but you're also seeing education going as well. And so that's a, a broad stroke definition of, of what a millennial is. And so you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, I know them. Aren't those the people that we don't like? Which tends to honestly be some of the conversation around this generation. A lot of the ink that's been spilled has been the negativity. And so I don't want you to just expand on that why do you think it is that this generation's gotten such a bad rap? I think, like, real practically, it's because the people writing the articles are Gen Xers and baby boomers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so there's really nothing new there that every generation has looked at the generation behind them and has felt like they were just saw all the flaws. Mm. And so a lot of that we just need to know is that the people writing the articles are probably not millennials. So... But but we do see some of these generalizations play out. And if I was going to pick three that I think are probably the most common, and we can talk about some examples of all this, I would say that the, the selfishness that's there, which we know is inherent in every generation, but that me, self-centeredness. And what it's doing is is what we're seeing is that it's leading to increased levels of narcissism, which is a a clinically diagnosable term of like extreme selfishness, extreme focus on self. So it's not just general selfishness. It seems to be going to an extreme level of selfishness within, within this generation. I mean, they, they invented the selfie. Yeah. So yeah. we all have a different, or we, like we have that camera on the front of our phone because of this generation. So that's great. You know, so, Adam, to your point, I, I read an article recently. It says the narcissistic personality disorder is now being seen at a at a rate three times higher in those in their 20s than any generation before them. So, I mean, you know, it's one thing we're even talking about anecdotes, but going, there's even data that's beginning to come out to support yes. these things that we're seeing on yeah. this trend you're talking People about. People are looking at it and just going, okay, this is, this is a little bit different. So the selfishness will lead to... Um, I think a lot of people would say just a general flakiness, non-committal. I mean, they've they invented the the hashtag FOMO, the mm -hmm. FMO or FOMO, the fear of missing out. And it really it's not just a silly hashtag for college mm -hmm. students to just go on a random road trip on a Thursday night. You know, like, let's not miss out. Let's go to Lubbock or whatever. You know, it's not it's not just that. It's it really is a way of life, which is I'm going to be really flaky. I'm going to be non-committal. I'm going to wait to the very last moment to make sure nothing better is going to come along before I commit to it. Um, you know, Nate mentioned part of the the news story that we even saw this week about the the kid. What was his name? Stephen Regatta, who who uh, who climbed Trump Tower, 19 years old. And if you look at why he did it, it's because he wanted a a personal audience with Trump. So he had something so important to say. And he wasn't getting the audience that he wanted yeah. that he decided, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. This is so important. 
I'm going to just do the most logical thing. I'm going to climb Trump's tower <laughs> with large suction cups <laughs> and, and uh, shut down traffic in Midtown New York. And, and take a uh, selfie while doing it. Yeah, I don't probably, know if he did. There's yeah. a YouTube video. Yeah. 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 Probably a GoPro on. Yeah. yeah. You so, know, Adam, to that point, it's funny you say that, like, being in this generation, maybe Sylvia might feel the same way I do. Like I'll get an invite to somebody's wedding six months out and obviously they're trying to plan, they're trying to get a head count yeah. and everything inside of me is going, Ooh, I don't know if I want to commit to that. Cause what if something better, yes. you know, so I even feel that internal struggle as you're talking about of just this fear of maybe there's something better. Can I hold on to all my cars until the very end? Yeah. And, and I, I just, and, and your friend, that. your friend's wedding you didn't attend is listening right now. I so. very, yeah, actually <laughs> plan on skipping a few this week. No, kidding, kidding, kidding. Yeah. I mean, I just got back from a camp with some, uh, some longhorns from some of the at university of Texas and it happens every year, you know, what are signups? And then the number that signed up and the number that show up, it's never more. Yeah. It's always less. Yeah. And you just know that that's because there's some people, something better came up. And so that, that fear of missing out and they think it's okay. I think they're, they're like, well, it was better. Mm. You know, it was just better. And so, so there's, that's one generalization. It's just the selfishness, this narcissism, it's can lead into some of the flakiness and non-committalness that that's really there. I think that's kind of marked this generation or that at least that's one of their public reputations. Lazy is one that's used, but again, every generation is accused the one behind it of being lazy. And I think really where this one comes from are some of the stats around how many of them live at home. And what's here's an interesting stat is that more people in this generation that are 18 and above live with their parents than live with a spouse. And so there's some of us that are Xers or boomers or the other generations that are looking at that, just going, get a job and move out. Mm -hmm. Like, are you so lazy? And it may not be that they that they have don't have a job. It may be just some really tough economic circumstances. I mean, they lived through the Great Recession. And, and so it may just yeah. be some of that that's there. But I think they have this selfishness and this generalization of being lazy. And then I think a, another one is just the idealistic view that they have, which as you were talking about, and we'll talk about as a positive here in a little bit, but just uh, the optimism that they have and where, where I think that idealism comes out a lot, especially those in the workplace that are working with millennials. It's this, you know, I expect, I think the average one would say, and, and some surveys would say they expect to be promoted every two years mm -hmm regardless of performance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there is just this idealistic like, hey, I, I turned that report in on time and I did a good job. Why am I not CEO right yeah, now? Yeah. And so why am I not getting all rage, yeah. of the promotions and and all that kind of stuff? And so yeah. I mean, we could they're used to getting trophies yeah, for absolutely. everything, which is still going on. And I think largely what's really interesting though is to even go back, like they they really are the products of the self-esteem movement that started in the late seventies. So all the data's in, we've got, we've got longitudinal information on what would the self-esteem movement produce. And this is what it's yeah. Yeah. for, for so. you parents sitting out there. One of the psychologists who are seeing that saying that we believe that self-esteem would be the thing that led to success. And, and they quickly realized that self-esteem was uh, corollary. It wasn't the cause and effect that led to it. It's just that as you were successful, then that leads to self-esteem. And one of the researchers said, you know what, just tell your kids you love them. It's a far better message than they're special. Yeah. You know, and, and Adam, to your point about these idealistic millennials, part of part of that optimism, part of all that leads to then unmet expectations. And so it's something like 60%, over 60% of millennials believe they will be within the top 20% of performance in their job place. Well, obviously 60% can't, can't meet the, the 20%. Yeah. Somebody's going to be left out. And so that's another trend that I've seen in this generation of, you know, if I expect to be promoted every two years and I expect to be the top performer and, and maybe I was a top performer or 
through the self-esteem movement, somebody always told me I was the top performer when yeah. in fact I was actually average at that. Yeah. Uh, you, you're seeing that they're calling it the quarter life crisis where 25 year olds, 26 year olds are suddenly going, I'm 25, I'm 26. I have nothing to show for my life. And I'm not even sure how to take the next step in adulthood. And, you know, depression's on the rise within this group. And you see just a lot of these unmet expectations leading to a, an absolute crisis in their life. And so, um, that's part of, I think, what this generation, despite there's the optimism and a little bit of the despair yeah. and it makes it a, a hard thing to even define this group entirely with, yeah, these, really with these broad strokes. Yeah. And I mean, so some other observations I know and I could, you and I both see and working with this generation, I think some other some other observations of what define them. And maybe these aren't getting in the articles, but these are just some anecdotal evidence just from working with college students. The they really tend to have an unorthodox view of truth. And so where you and I grew up learning, there's maybe we learned there's an absolute truth. The teachers and the authorities in the culture, they're the ones who hold the truth. You learn truth from them. It's all really different now. Mm -hmm. and, and to even say it's relativistic or that everybody's right, it, it is that. But it's it's that on a, on a whole nother yeah. level. Really. I have to remind my so many. One of the things we're seeing now in the church, which is really interesting, I'm sure this is not unique to Watermark, is you have moderns and sort of these Gen Xers and, and baby boomers leading a lot of millennials in women's Bible study. So mm -hmm. we have this Titus mm -hmm. 2 model, which is great, older leading the younger. But these generations are so far expanded in terms of understanding each other. It creates this funny. And so my leaders over and over again go, well, she did didn't fill out her curriculum. She didn't write down any answers. And, it, and I keep having to remind them, well, she thinks the discussion is as important as the discovery of the information, yes. you know, for the millennial yes. and going, hey, it's not that she doesn't care necessarily. She just thinks what everybody else thinks is just as important as what the teacher on the stage thinks, yeah. which as the teacher on the stage, I'd like them to think that what I have to say might be a little bit more important yes. than whatever their friend on the corner thought about the lesson. And so that is that funny give and take there as well. Yeah. yeah people are less impressed with credentials. Absolutely. And, you know, Hey, I have this, DR or masters behind my name or whatever. And, and it's like, eh, yeah, you know? if you have a blog, you have as much weight yeah, exactly. as the guy who has exactly. the PhD. And yeah. so the guy who has a PhD is going, well, that was a waste of eight years. And when I could have just started a blog. And so yeah. it's an interesting. <laughs> and, and being, yeah. and because they, there's this general, you know, relativistic, everybody can be true. They, they, they don't feel any sense of tension if they hold two things that are complete opposite and believing that they're both true like that, that doesn't bother them. And really kind of what it boils down to is they're really influenced by a crafty sounding argument. Mm. And so they're really swayed by somebody who sounds like they know what's going on and specifically on their ability to sniff out when somebody is fake or is putting on a show. I mean, they I think this generation is fantastic at going, mm -hmm. that's phony mm -hmm. and I'm not going to believe that. But if somebody shows genuine passion then they're like, oh, I, he may really have something to say or she may really have something to say. And it may be true. And we saw this this past semester at SMU. There was a, made a little bit of a of a news splash here, at least locally in Dallas, where a pro-life organization had come and put up a little memorial on a main part of campus at SMU. A young student walked by, was reading some of these crosses and what was on there and saw that this pro-life message was maybe going to be offending some women who had made the choice to terminate a pregnancy. So he got his the selfie camera on his phone, hit record, put it up there and just recorded a video of himself like right there in front of the campus. And it was the most passionate, mm. well articulated. He sounded great and sounded like he knew exactly what he was talking about. It mm -hmm. kind of went viral within the, mm -hmm. 
SMU community and Facebook, all these likes, all these shares. And then you watch it and you listen to the content mm -hmm. of his arguments. And it was like, whoa, 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 yeah. this poor guy. His content's not there. Yeah. These, these, these arguments aren't even logical. So we got some of our student leaders together a couple days after it came out, play the video. Okay, guys, what, what did you see with that? And they would just kind of sit there and go, well, think about this. And, and they just needed help interpreting his message. But they were all swayed by how passionate he was mm -hmm. and uh, just how, how articulate he was. They were like, well, that must be true. And there was very little truth mm -hmm. yeah. in it. Yeah. And, um, and so I just think they have some of these unorthodox views of truth yeah. that, that are really there. I, you know, they, and, and I'll take this from, uh, from Ben Stewart down at A&M. One of his observations specifically about college students is they're so smart. They're, processing so much information all the time, which again is a positive that we'll talk about here in a second. But what that leads to is a lack of contemplation. And what's really interesting is even as narcissistic as they are, the self-focus is largely on their positives. Mm. And the self-focus is not seem to be on their negatives and their sin or their mm -hmm. character flaws mm -hmm. or where are they where do they need to be uh, maturing. And so they there's very little self-contemplation on a deep, like maybe a healthy, what we would, what we would hope all maturing people would be doing of just going, okay, I'm, I'm not as great as I think I am. I'm not as great as my mom told mm -hmm. me I was. Mm -hmm. And so I do have some character flaws. I do have some parts of my character that are a little rough around the edges. And so, and what I find and how that plays out on campus is students just aren't thinking about God mm -hmm. because again, they're just, they're in college, they're excited, everything, the future's so bright. They're very optimistic. They're going to get two degrees. And so now they've got their bases covered mm -hmm. and everything's great. It's like, God, who, oh, why would I need that? I mean, yeah, I'm awesome. Right. And, yeah. um, and so those are just some other little things that I see. Yeah, no, that's good. So I, I, I think is, I mean, if we were to end the webinar here, it's kind of like, well, you know, this, this generation's totally <laughs> <The> jacked <worst>. up, <laughs> you know, no hope. Let's just try to move on, you know, but, but obviously just like you've said a couple of times, Adam, you know, with, with every generation, there are, there are weaknesses and there are also strengths. Yeah. And, and that, that pendulum swings both ways um, for as markers of a generation that could be really dangerous and unhealthy. You know, that pendulum also swings another way to say, man, man, dude, here's the good side of that. Yeah. So what, what are some of those positives that you see in the millennial generation? Well, one of them, I'll just be really shallow if that's okay. I think they're hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean like making fun of them, the man buns and the beards and all yeah, that, yeah, the yeah, hipster yeah. vibe, all that. I mean, I really, their humor is really sharp really witty and because they don't like the fake or they don't like pretend stuff they're really not sarcastic mm. they're really smart satire and mm. so i i think it's not like a you know so i'm a gen xer and so the the comedians of my day were the chris rock andrew dice clay jerry seinfeld to yeah, a certain extent yeah, yeah. very sarcastic loud um or with Seinfeld, you know, very observational, you know, no grapes, no nuts. What's the deal? You know, and we just think, oh, that's funny. Where they would look at that and go, that's just, yeah, grape nuts, whatever. I don't care what it's called. But they, you know, what they've done on the internet even with memes and the gifts, and I just think they are masters of pointing out the awkward, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that story. I think it was about a year ago. Over in the UK, that research vessel that they were oh the naming oh, yeah. it, oh, they were love name it. it. <laughs> yeah. I know there was like a 22 year old behind that that was hilarious, and so the name that they they put out this poll. If anybody doesn't know the story, they were going to name this this research vessel. 
and they said, let's let the people decide what we're going to name it. And they put a poll out there and people were voting on it. The number one vote (laughs) was Bodie McBoatface. (laughs) Just hilarious. (laughs) I mean, I read that and I was like, that. God bless the internet because it gives us gives us little breaks in our day like that. That was a really good example of like two generations totally clashing. Yes. Oh yeah, I don't the think older they... folks were going, "This is not yes. funny. We cannot name it Bodie. We'll McBoat name it after face. a war soldier yeah, yeah. or a we, hero yeah. or something yeah, yeah. like that." And now they have Bodie McBoatface <laughs> out on so the water. They were looking around, going, "What would be incredibly awkward?" I know Bodie McBoatface, <laughs> and then all their other friends got on there, and they took it up to the top, and it's not named Bodie McBoatface, but. That, you know, it should be because, so, because someone from another generation was like, no, no. yeah, we can't do that. Yeah. That's not the authority yeah. structure that we have. Yeah, and so, totally. I mean, uh, the natural non-stage humor, I think, you know, viral videos, mm-hmm. that's why they go viral largely is because that stuff, it's the person that was walking into the grocery store and fell down. It was natural humor mm-hmm. that they're like, that's hilarious. Let's make a gif yeah, out of that. Yeah, well, and yeah. even noticing too, I, some of those things I've said is that especially online companies, marketing research, things like that, they're noticing, whereas the Gen X was the sort of anti-establishment generation, the rebellious generation, Gen Y, this millennial generation is less like that. And so they're noticing things that tend to go viral are positive things. You know, a dad yes. comes home from Iraq and, and meets his family, like things that make us feel good. And, and um, it used to, they say it used to be about 50-50 where you'd look at comments on the internet where, you know, be negative and positive, negative and positive. Now they're going, it's positive, 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 and then a negative comment thrown in there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, that optimism of this generation, I think, is is a trait that sometimes gets overlooked because people think they're blindly optimistic. Yes. But just going, hey, to hold on to hope in the midst of what they're seeing in their world is a really incredible thing for this generation to have. Yeah. I mean, they, as you and I were even joking about a little bit earlier, I think the angst that Gen X is known for yeah. having, this generation should have. Yeah. Because the worst thing a Gen Xer experienced in their childhood was the whole new Coke yeah. Phenomenon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so and that that made us so angry that we were anti-establishment because Coke changed their formula for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And so where they have seen real tragedy and they their, their optimism really is it's inspiring. And so uh, so I think I think their humor. I really I think it does make the world a better place in a very shallow way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's fun. And I, and I think that's one thing that I think they're I, I'm, I'm really grateful for millennials. I I mean, that optimism, I mean, the bottom line is they want stuff to change in this world and they have a an, agree, an ingredient that at least I'll speak for myself as an Xer that I don't have or that I struggle with. They believe they will change it yeah. where I'll look at everything that's wrong and just go, nothing's going to change yeah. this, you know, just kind of throw my hands up. Cynicism is so easy for me and maybe some of my peers where. Uh, they believe they can change the world. I think they're going to they're going to end up doing it. Well, they're they're large enough. They're the largest generation really since baby boomers. So there's enough of them. The world will change under their under their leadership. And I think they're a great reminder that positivity is way better and more motivational yeah. than even negativity. So yeah. You, are- you mentioned that they are now officially the largest generation. I mean, it surpassed baby boomers and. I think as of January, it was something like 75 million compared to 74 million around in that area. And you think about some of the jokes we make about baby boomers where I remember being told that my parents walked to school both ways uphill in the snow barefoot and things like that. And 
and now you have this millennial generation is like, why would you do that? Let's just invent a hovercraft. You know, this sort of like, <laughs> yes. that stinks that you had to do that. I can't possibly relate get, to it. viral videos. Yeah, people that people fall yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So and so, that, so that idea of why would you go through the hardship? Can't we change that? Yeah. Um, whereas you, you're right. The older generation is, hey, this is how it's been. This is how it will always be. I think that, that and, and really what one of the positives I think of this generation, if I may just add in here, is just innovation. I mean, yeah. you look at the technology and the way that um, we're changing the world and even the globalization of the world where you know the plight in maybe a, a town in Africa used to not matter well now with technology and globalization suddenly you have an entire generation of American kids who care about that plight in yes. Africa and are doing things about it and mm -hmm. I think that's a huge positive of this generation yeah, yeah I mean what you see in the passion movement and the end it movement I mean that's not just red X's on their hands for right. social media there's certainly people that are doing that they're raising real money yeah. And uh, and doing a lot of good to try to end slavery in this generation, which again, as an extra, I'm like, end slavery? That's been around since forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're going, no, we're going to do it. And and I, I love that optimism. Yeah, I was I was just going to say, I, being in a world, and, and this generation is really the one who grew up with the iPhone, the internet, the you know all the things that back in in our in our childhood, it was like. The speaking spell. Yeah, totally. You know, um, and <laughs> <What>? that's <No. laughs> so with the with the world getting as small as it is now and the fact that you really can. I mean, you can interact with people on the other side of the world like some people do it all day, every day, yeah. um, that it's a it really is like a global community that that a lot of this what what used to be global talk for, you know, for Gen Xers that seemed this insurmountable thing is now global talk like, hey, we're going to end global you know, slavery within this generation is more like, oh, well, yeah, because that's what I do in my backyard. Yeah. That there's that mentality now that the, the world is a small place, like things are achievable. You can see the end if if only let's put these things into place and, and move toward it. So yeah. there are and this is a point I wanted to make a little bit earlier, like there are I feel like there are systems in place now that are unique to this generation that um, that were either developing or just didn't exist in previous generations that really shape and mold the way people interact with one another um, that really affects, you know, some of the some of the intangibles that we're talking about. Now they're now they're able to play themselves out in certain ways that prior to 20, 30 years ago just weren't even possible. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. so some more positives. I mean, uh, this generation seems to like their parents more. Than, than other previous generations. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, a lot of them come from broken homes. But I think that I, I think that bodes well just for the institution of the family is that they're having a different family experience. It's not like, again, for me, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go away. My parents, I can't wait to be out from mm -hmm. under their authority where I'm noticing I'm, I'm really surprised at how many college students still reach out to their parents and their parents are their number one voice in their life. And so one of the guys that I have discipled over at SMU, I'm still surprised. Uh, and it's just not surprised that because his parents, anything wrong with his parents. It's just, I'm surprised because it's so different than yeah. mm -hmm. on how much. Yeah, they're still. saying this is the first generation that's really just not rebelling in their teen years, yes. you know, whereas, um, and I, I'm kind of a little bit, find myself a little bit more exer in the cynicism. I don't share the same optimism in my generation at times, but I remember thinking if my parents thought it was probably a dumb idea. I remember going through that. And and now with the younger women that I'm around of same idea, Adam, where let me call my mom and ask her what she thinks. Let me call my dad and ask him what he thinks. And I'm sitting here going, that's so foreign to me. Like it took me a while to realize how valuable my yeah. parents were and how they're in same thing, even in voting trends where people were really influenced by politicians and by people out in the civic arena by who they were going to vote for. And now more and more we're seeing, hey, if my mom's a Republican, then I'm probably a Republican in this generation, which yeah. is such a unique thing. But to 
for that family core unit that did suffer so much brokenness, as you reference, to now have a return where a generation says, no, we respect our parents and we love and we care for them. That's a refreshing yeah, return. We value family. Absolutely. It's great. And it had a conversation this past week at that camp with the UT students where where the girl lives and she is now away from her family. And she just was sitting there just going, hey, I, I just I miss them. I miss having that influence in my life. How do you think I can go about getting some more adults? I mean, I got plenty of 20 year olds around me, but I want I miss that more parental guidance. And so and I and I see that at SMU, if we we can get students more attracted to be in a mentoring relationship with an adult than we can get them to be in a peer small group. Mm -hmm. you know, hey, do you want to be in a small group? Eh, maybe if I got time, if there's nothing else going on. Hey, do you want to be mentored? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to be mentored. Yeah. yeah where, give me the guy's name. Yeah. And uh, I want. I want that that person like my parents kind of pouring into me. So the more educated, I mean, I think that is they know their stuff and it, it really. And so one of the guys, one of the students at SMU, Ronnie, is one of the most uh, maybe outside of present company, one of the smartest people <laughs> I have ever Why, met. Thank you. And I mean, it got to the point where I'd spend time with him. Like he had studied so much theology and apolo apologetics. That I wouldn't even Google. I would just like just ask, ask Ronnie because yeah. <laughs> Ronnie just knows so much. And, and I think he is, he's maybe a little, uh, a little abnormal in just the, his retention and photographic memory. But I think by and large, they have thought about some really weighty, um, or they, they've, they've processed a lot of information. So mm -hmm. I think that education is helping the innovation Absolutely. and the creativity to think about, to think about different things. And um, the diversity is, is really, I think, especially in light of where the conversation around race has been mm. in the country over the last uh, couple of months or a few weeks, they just draw their tribe lines differently. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that a lot. And I'm seeing it even now as I'm meeting different college students from different schools, even here in Dallas. And there's this one friend group, they all came from one high school. And I'm, it, it almost is fake how diverse that friend group is in the sense of you're like, that looks a little staged, like a college brochure, staged, right? right? Yeah. Like it looks fake, yeah. but they really, it's, it's a little bit of everything. And they have drawn their lines around, honestly, for this group around the gospel, which is the way it should be. Yeah, right. And great. so the diversity, they are so comfortable with different cultures, again, leading to that humor and the self deprecation. They make fun of their own cultures yeah. around each other, you know, and they'll, and um, well, often and we're fearful really of what we don't know. You know, yeah. that's that's so true of human nature. And so you think about a generation that had no exposure to a different culture or wasn't around those who aren't like themselves. Well, with this this generation being so connected through Twitter or social media or YouTube or whatever, suddenly foreign cultures become less scary because you're mm -hmm. going, I, I know your music. Yeah, I know your it, norms. Yeah. I know your, you know, and, and I'm in this with you. And I, I identify more with you as my millennial brother than I do as, you know, maybe skin color, or other cultural norms like that, which is a hugely positive thing yeah. in that generation. So I think they've got a lot to teach. Absolutely. Uh, on the diversity and they, <clears throat> they really do see the lines or they see differences very differently than maybe some of the other generations do yeah. where they are not just looking at outside stuff. It's more like, Oh, you like country music mm -hmm. and I don't like that. Oh, that's you're a Android line. and Apple. Yes, okay. Exactly. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're just drawing those lines different where, you know, for my generation and in my high school, it, largely the groups were drawn by skin color. That's, right. that's where it was where now that is, I'm seeing less of that. Yeah. Is there, is there a problem with it? Absolutely. There's still a problem. We're not yeah. where we want to be yeah. with all of that, but, 
but I see in this generation a lot of hope, and I, and it's really encouraging. I think we can learn a lot from them. That's cool, yeah. So I, I think as people who are probably listening today, we probably have people who have a millennial uh, child yep. um, that they interact with. We we probably have other millennials that are listening in that you know they they are millennial. So as as we think about um, one communicating effectively, so I'm kind of talking more uh, on the on the parent side or the or the Gen X or baby boomer who's interacting with a millennial and is scratching their head going, what in the world? Um, how, how do we get on the same page here? What do we say to them? And then also what, what do we say to millennials to say, Hey, this is how you should be uh, introspective and self-examining. And this is how you need to be sensitive to other generations as well. I mean, yeah. I think about what you just said, where, um, where the, uh, the person is, it's like, oh, I'm just not that concerned with race. Well, you sit there and talk to a baby boomer, right, or an African American baby boomer, who's like, what do you mean you're not that concerned about yeah. race? Like, I'm very offended. Yeah, by I grew yeah. up in in Jim Crow. Yeah. Like, that's offensive. That 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 you don't share the same passion. So, yeah, I mean, I just use that as an example to talk about, like, hey, what, how should we? What are some of those principles that should inform how we attempt to either reach a millennial or for a millennial to self-examine. Yeah, and I don't think there's a silver bullet that's going to be anything different because the the millennials are so unique. And here's the words we need to use. I think it's just stuff that we would do in any, <clears throat> whenever we're facing differences with anybody. And that's just realize that these are, the differences are different. Mm. They're not better or worse. And so I think that first, that, that recognition personally for us. So if I'm a parent of a millennial and, or I'm a boss of a millennial, it's just going, hey, they're just, they're different. It's not that I'm better, my generation's better, and they're worse. So I think some of that's just going to help our approach because if we think one's better than the other, then we're not building a bridge. We're building a case, mm -hmm. and, and they're going to sense that because, again, they can sense <laughs> if you genuinely care or not. One of the things that also we need to know, though, or remember, is part of our role as being older ones in their life, part of our role is to shepherd them and to help them with that. Mm -hmm. And so even though... I have to remind myself that even though the students, because of going back to information and how smart they are, what uh, an unintended negative consequence of, of how much information they processed is what, and it's a title of a book, one guy who studies this generation, what, what happens is it's a, an, an artificial maturity. Mm -hmm. So you can have a conversation with somebody on a, on a very intellectual topic and they will, they will blow you away. They have information. Yes, they've yep. got so much information. Yep. And you may in like a job interview be like, oh, my gosh, she's gone here. She's done that. She's got a heart for this. She's trying to end this. That's amazing. She is like the most mature 22 year old I've ever met. And then you then they start working for you and you realize that she doesn't know how to resolve conflict. She talks behind your back. She doesn't respect authority. She she's got this this relational. So what she has intellectually, that maturity, the relational maturity is just not there for a lot of for a lot of reasons, maybe. And so. Just knowing you just got to figure out where where that they do need some shepherding uh, in that and just speak into that and make sure that, you know, they know that you care about all of that. And so so those are something I think for like for bosses and parents to remember is just it's different. And they do they do need us. Yeah. You know, just like we needed the boomers. Yeah. And we needed yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the generations ahead of us. There was a lot we could learn from them. And so we can't we can't just back down because we, we still have to speak. speak Absolutely. Up into this. You totally. know, one of the things that. Um, 
you know, Adam and Nate, probably from your generation is so much thinking in terms of like, if you're a church leader trying to reach a millennial generation and Barna put out a research and the number one thing they said that if you want to reach millennials in your church is to make room for meaningful relationships. And that's how you, you gain maturity, right? Is you hang out with people who are more mature. And so their generation tends to hang out with themselves, but they desire opportunities, like we were saying earlier, to hang out with somebody older than them. And so if we can create room for that, where so much of sometimes what we do within the church or in relationships is going, Hey, I have information that would be helpful to you. Well, they're looking at us going, I can read a book. I can read a blog. I can, I don't need the information. I need to be able to talk about myself. I need to be able to express some ideas or to tell you some hurts or some pains. And so I think as you're reaching millennials, if you remember, Hey, inviting them into your house to have dinner is probably more valuable than opening up a Bible at Starbucks and trying to exegete Mark five, you know, and just, and I think that's a big part of it is they may seem like they have it all together, but they don't. I mean, yeah. they just don't like. And what twenty-two-year-old does? No, see, you know, I I, yeah, yeah, I, I certainly did, didn't. You know, and, maybe some, maybe some different, some different emotional experiences that, that they didn't have. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a perfect example of that is one of these. Again, one of these students that I was able to disciple down at SMU. I mean, it was a, it was a good year to maybe fifteen months of a lot of time with him mm-hmm. before my phone rang yeah. from him going, I got a problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And I thought as a pastor, I had the right to get into that stuff right away. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that was me just going, well, because when I was his age, a pastor started hanging out with me and I was like, I spilled everything. Let me give you all the yeah, details. Yeah, Let's talk pastor. about this right yeah. now. Yeah. You're the author. Yeah. All right. Where the, this desire for the relationship once, once, and I don't know if it was, there was a point in his mind where he was like, I think Adam really does care. And so now I'm going to call him. And what was great is the thing to call about was a relational conflict with somebody in his family. Mm-hmm. And now I'm able to help provide some shepherding and, and emotional maturity and relational maturity for this guy. It took, it took a long yeah, time. Yeah. You know, that was a lot of, um, of conversations over Chick-fil-A about a lot of different things mm. in that guy's life to be able to earn that right yeah. to be able to, to speak yeah. into. Yeah. And there's probably quite a few parents, um, who are maybe listening right now that are fit in that category of scratching their head, looking at their kid. Um, there's something about a parent looking at a kid that's like, Hey, I, I don't want you to fail. Um, I don't want you to, and, and maybe some of it is just kind of projecting, your own expectations on them to say, I don't want you to fail because I don't want to feel like I failed. Yeah. You know, there's, that's really complex, but, but there, there is a part of that where people in their own generation mindset attempt to grab a hold and control a situation where the person that to, to, and, and they probably do it out of really good intention. Like I really do want to help you, but really it's for, further deepening a divide because that person on the other side is like, Hey, there, there's relational mending that needs to take place here. There's there's trust that needs to be reestablished before I even listen to you, you yeah. know. And so I think there is like, you you know, the, the fact that it took 18 months or so before this kid calls you, I think is informative. You know, I, I can tell a bunch of stories and, you know, in, in my life as well about that same thing where viewing that as, hey, I'm um, I'm here, I'm present, like I'm, I'm faithfully present um, in your life and I'm allowing you to fail. Because I think one of the biggest responsibilities we have for this type of generation is when they when when a millennial does fail and they will, everybody does. But whether it's in small ways or in big ways, is that uh, we're faithfully present so that they do look at us yes. and go, hey, what do I do? Yes. You know, my heart's broken. I lost my job. My dreams are crushed. Yes. You know, and and instead of coping in really unhealthy ways, there's a faithful presence in their life. 
to go, Hey, I've, I've always been here. And yeah. now um, I'm able to, whether it's a, you know, a pastor or a friend or a parent or whoever, now I'm able to very effectively like minister the gospel of Christ. Yeah. I know for me, as I've talked to millennials who have been at an impasse or they've hit a wall or they've, that's a largely what I do is, is just to love on them. And then also to, to gently redirect, to ask questions that, Hey, have you ever thought about this? And and so you're, you're just kind of redirecting their issues toward, toward a solution that's rooted in the gospel. Yeah. That fear of failure is, is, I mean, it's a, again, it's a universal human experience that I think is very accentuated and magnified in this generation mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, look, this was, this is the generation that started specializing in sports mm-hmm. at a much younger age. Yep. And so they never experienced being mediocre on a soccer team because if they were mediocre on a soccer team, they went and played baseball. And if they were mediocre there, then they went to football. Finding their niche. Yeah. yeah, And so it was very niche. Just find what you're amazing at and just do that. And so even, even just helping them see that it's okay to fail. Yeah. Well, and everything's so public too. I mean, it's interesting. Like, you know, you date somebody for six months and then when the relationship ends, well, we all know because it changed statuses on Facebook. And so, you know, and like in, in a lot of ways, like you fail publicly now. And so it was one thing to go home, hang your head and have your mom throw her arms around you and go, it's OK. It's another thing for me to be like, well, everybody knew about the everybody, game because I was yeah. bragging how yeah. I qualified for regionals. And now they're how did it go? Don't ask there's me. A, there's a so. lot of Gen Xers that are really grateful that they did not grow up. <laughs> And Absolutely. go through high school oh in the Facebook, Twitter so age. Dolly. Like, yes. can you imagine? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah that would have been that would have been bad. I think <laughs> as a as a boss, like somebody, if you're if you're leading a responsible in ministry or in workplace to lead millennials, I think one of the most helpful things I've heard from Tim Elmore, he's the guy that came up with that idea of artificial or that book, artificial maturity. So one of one of the things that I learned has been really helpful for me. This is a this is an upload culture not a download culture mm-hmm. or an upload generation. Mm-hmm. They prefer to upload, not download. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is they want to get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. They don't really want to talk theory for a long period of time. They want to create something and upload it and let everybody see it. And upload doesn't have to be literally to the internet. Oh, oftentimes it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> their shame uh, in yeah. years, yeah. years later. But, um, but so I, I just think giving them space to dream and try something. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you don't agree with the way I'm doing this? Great. Here's what I would love for you to do. You got your phone right there. Go to the yeah. Internet. Try to find some other solutions. You present to me. Mm-hmm. And not doing this in a snarky way, but let's you come up with a solution. Yeah. Come up with a with a project here. Figure out a way that we could do this and do it better. And let's see. Yeah. Let's see how that works. And I think they're. They just seem to light up when they have yep. something to work on and do that may be contributing. Yeah, I, I think the same is true in the church as well. You think about, you know, if you're if all if all my leaders in women's Bible studies are always above the age of 50, then the 20 somethings inevitably going, am I ever going to get my chance? Yeah. I mean, when yeah. when am I mature enough to because I because I've been told my whole life I have spiritual gifts. I've been trying to use them. Is there a safe place for me to come and try and fail? You know, and, and and I think that that's part of even how we reach millennials is giving an opportunity to do something impactful. Um, shout out to Blake Holmes, who created the residency program here at Watermark, who many of us in this room are, Nate, myself and Sylvia are all beneficiaries of where we came into an internship program. But instead of being asked to make copies all day long, we were given real responsibility, which, yeah, you know, yeah. for us young millennials, that excites us because I'm like, I want to use what I think I've got and I could be wrong and, and I might fall on my face and I did plenty. Yeah. Um, but to have the chance to really make an impact is a huge way for millennials to buy in not only to the church, but to the business and where they're at. And what we may do is because we see a lack of maturity, we can see some of those flaws because we're older, more experienced, yep. just have some perspective. 
we'd be reluctant to give them something. Absolutely. Because we're like, well, we need to equip them a little more. Or we they forget that someone took a chance on us when so they saw just, ours. Is it efficient? No. Is it effective? Yes. yes. Let them try something. Cool. Let them say a little bit. Yeah, so some of the practical questions that have just come up and just thinking about some of the thoughts that you guys talked about, about mentoring folks and people wanting to be mentoring, are there avenues that could be um, spoken about now in the church? Like, hey, if you want to be equipped by an older woman, more mature, head to women's Bible study. Or if you're that person that has, hey, I'm older, more mature, I'd love to help shepherd what are some of those avenues that we have available for folks saying, okay, I want to help? Yeah, absolutely. So just speaking on the women's half, uh, one of the huge values that we have in our women's Bible study is multi-generational groups so that we can create opportunities for organic relationships to form. Uh, church models that create mentoring programs tend to fail because they're inorganic. Yep. It's a little like speed dating. You yep. get paired with somebody and it turns out you don't even really like each other. And so <laughs> there's not, you know, and, and for a millennial, like, like Adam was saying, it takes a long time to even develop that relationship where I can fully trust you. And so in women's Bible study, if, you, if you're looking for an older woman or you are an older woman, come join us this fall, starting in September, because we create groups that have 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s and on up so that we are at least trying to facilitate an atmosphere where you can rub shoulders with somebody older and wiser than you, and hopefully that develops into something. Yeah, I would say on the guy's side, the men's expression of women's Bible study is obviously men's Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> No, you have to pull their names. Yeah. Summit. <laughs> yeah, it's Summit Men's Bible Study. And and yeah, again, I, I think that I think addressing this question has tiers to it. So the first tier would be, hey, you you have to you have to put yourself out there in some way. You have to come to, you know, a, a Bible study where you can meet other people. And and so there there's a relational risk um, for someone who's not plugged in at all um, to come and, and, you know, raise their hand and, Hey, I'd love to, to do that. But out of, I know uh, over the last year or so, we've started a new initiative through men's Bible study to try to pair people up who are raising their hand with this exact thing to say, Hey, I'd love to spend time with an older guy. And we identify those people through a process and then we'll just kind of, uh, put them together. And, 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 and there's, for some groups it, it sticks and for other groups, it's kind of like what Nika said, where it's like, you know, Hey, this is just not working for me. And we're cool with that. It's an organic process. And so people move in and out of that. And then I would say too, like, I know for me growing up, like when I, when I got around a guy that I respected and was, would, uh, would just, instead of waiting on, you know, Oh, that guy like mentors me or whatever, like I pursued the guy, you know, I mean, I made to the point where I was going to make him tell me no, you know, send him flowers. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite like that. Okay, <laughs> But like in school, I made sure I took his class with uh, other mentor type guys and me. I, I, I bought dinners. I, I bought whatever, like, Hey, can I please spend time around you? So there, there's a lot of self-initiative thing that, uh, that, that can go on uh, there as well. But to answer the question, we do have expressions in both the women's and men's Bible study to plug people into that type of relationship here. So. And in college ministry, we just do, I mean, it's like the oldest, most uncreative, it's adopt a student program. And it, it's so easy. It's such a low commitment. Um, and then we just say, hey, a couple times a semester, try to have somebody come over. And, and I'm constantly, I sometimes forget we have the program until I meet a student. They're like, they tell me how great it is. And so we, we of course, have a couple that were some students and the families that don't connect really well, but it's just such an easy way mm -hmm. to try to get students mm -hmm. to start building relationships with some other families. That's great. I think that's also a good point that, Hey, around here, we also have to serve. And so I think that even if you're just bumping around people, like you said, Nathan, it's like, Hey, if you serve on front lines, you're going to be around people 
that are older and wiser than you. And the same of, you know, I, I like to shout out money wise too. You're coming for a very practical need, but you're going to be bumping around people that are very much more mature and wise than you. And so I love that there is that serve ask because you just come around and if you initiate, you're going to find someone. So, so Adam, let's say we, we probably do have some millennials that are listening. They're the largest generation in America. So in addition to talking to Sylvia and I right now, what would you just, as we wrap up and close to wrapping this up, what would you say to a millennial who's listening to go, Hey, what's the, what's the thing that we would love to hear from Adam who spends all his time with millennials? What's the thing that we need to hear to help us do better and what it is that we're doing? Yeah. And I, you know, as I put some time thinking about this, I, I think the advice I would give if they asked was, would be really simple. It may not be sound really glamorous and it's uh, like resolved to become a really good follower. Mm. And, and so what that looks like is when you're, you know, if you're at a big church, like a watermark or at your church, jump in, serve somewhere, be a follower, meaning don't expect a promotion in two weeks. Don't expect to be the leader of it. Just be a follower. A lot of them that are out there in the workplace right now, that's going to be the one area where they spend most of their time where they really need to focus on being a good follower, being a good employee. And and here's why, because I think Romans 13 is really, really, really clear that God works in and through authority in our life. And I think most generations would agree that one of the common things we or one of the things we all have in common is that when we were in those late teens, early 20s, moving into our 30s, the authority in our life did like God used authority more than just about any other thing in our life to really shape us and mold us and help us to become uh, effective leaders in our, in our, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, hopefully and beyond. And so, so I think there is, if there was like a, a message, a, a drum that I'm going to beat for, for that millennial generation, if there was one thing where I could just speak like as an authority shepherd, yeah. somebody who loves them and going do this, just focus on being a good follower because here's the thing, what you'll realize one day, if, if you get to be a leader, you get to have authority over others or get to be a boss in your organization. What you're going to realize is that the people who are bosses in your organization right now or leaders in your organization right now, the reason they're there is because they, they earned it and they, um, like they really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so they're not up there just by, and, and I'm sure somebody's like, no, I work for the guy who's the son mm -hmm. of, of the <laughs> yeah. president or whatever. And so, okay, maybe that's different or, or not, but most people. But even in that, you know, I, I think I found myself, you know, growing up in athletics, for example, there were times when I just flat out disagree with what my coach was telling us. I just didn't think it was a good strategy. And yes. I, I really did think I had the right answer. And, yes. and there were times in my foolish millennial ways that I let that be known and I ran until I barfed. And then there were times I thought, you know, I'm not the coach. At the end of the day, I'm not the coach. And yeah. it'll go well with me to follow in line and earn the respect of my coaches to be able to have the right to speak into those moments and to build. And, and so I think you're right. You know, even in those moments when you're dealing with nepotism and you're working for the, the doofus to go, gosh, there's still this authority that God has ordained in my life for this season that hopefully won't be a long yeah. season. But, but it is so sharpening and so refining in our lives. Yeah, I mean, seasons of my life working under bad leaders mm -hmm. is where I saw God work the most mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I just think there is something, number one, then you appreciate it when you work for good leaders. Um, you learn a lot personally about, all right, well, I'm going to make sure I don't lead that way. Yeah. But, but I think it really boils down to the one thing that all men struggle with. And that's <clears throat> who's the God of this life. Mm -hmm. Am I the God? Am I like, am I the, am I the one who leads my life <clears throat> or am I really submitting my life to the Lord? 
Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, so I, I, you know, if I had to just pick one thing that I was going to really try to encourage millennials with, I would just say that, like, be a good follower yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, and I, and I think ultimately to tie this together is shocker, right. But to tie it together mm-hmm. and, and say like, Hey, um, learning to be a good follower of Jesus, you know, I've been uh, walking with Jesus, um, for a while and, I have found that in times in in the difficulties in following Jesus, like those are the times where I get refined, that those are the times where when I hit a wall, instead of, you know, running into comfort or something that's familiar or like the Lord teaching me like, hey, hey, Nathan, I'm going to put this weight on you. And instead of running away from it or trying to lift it or whatever, I want you to sit, mm-hmm. I want you to sit and I want you to listen. And I want you to submit, really. Yeah. And, and a lot of times that that submitting to authority can be feel really uh, abnormal or unnatural. It feels unnatural to all of us to some degree, totally. but especially for this generation. And to, and to teach. And, and, and yet there's something about being yoked to or tied to or under the authority of Christ that's liberating. It's freeing. It's 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 the it's the weight that 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 is light. Yeah. And and that's I think that the the trick is we you know um, talk to millennials and, and and casting a vision of of the beauty of of Christ and knowing that hey when when you tie yourself in discipleship and and, and followership to Him then you're going to find the life you've that you've always looked for. That's great. Yeah. So there's a few there's a few resources that we uh, put. I know I think it's called IY. Yeah, Generation, Generation IY by Tim Elmore. Yeah. Um, Adam highly recommends that. And then uh, Nika's, it's funny, we were talking about this. I was asking you, hey, what books, what books, what books? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, millennials this generation, don't read books. Yeah, there millennials are no don't books. read books. There are They're written by right? boomers. So, uh, so I love art. And I, you know, the more I've talked about millennialism and, and things like that, I think more people go, hey, what, where are you getting these stats? And so I, I include just a couple of links to where just cold, hard facts that we've gathered about millennials, where, where we've come to these conclusions about them. So there's one of those links. And then if you're a church leader or somebody who's who volunteers in the church and you're wondering, hey, I want more millennials fill in the pews. There's a great article by Barna and Barna is a, a research organization. It's Christian bent Christian organization. And they've just got some, some great principles for, you can look and go, Hey, is my ministry creating space for this? So that the largest generation, mind you would feel comfortable here. And obviously we don't want to bend to every generation's whims, but I think there's some great principles that are based out of, out of truth and out of scripture that you can be evaluating your ministry and going, Hey, are we doing enough to make this type of person feel welcome? And where can we excel? Still yeah, more? totally. I mean, communication is always, um, it's both, it's both what you say and also what's heard, but in, in a lot of cases, it's more what's heard. Absolutely. And so understanding your audience, you're responsible both for the message of the gospel, but um, as you uh, see it, but also to do the best you can to adjust to, man, I want to make sure that what I'm saying is actually being heard. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would just say, you know, most of the stuff you read about millennials is funny. You go to Google them and it's like, millennials are the worst. Why are they so bad? How do we, you know, and, and I would just tell you as a millennial who works with millennials, who's proud to be a millennial, especially if you go to Watermark, it's it's easy to look at the generation below you and go, they're the worst. And so millennials will have our day. Don't worry, it's coming. Um, but we really do love you and we really do believe you'll change the world. And I think that's what's crazy is it's easy to have our gripes about you because you drive us nuts. 
I drive myself nuts in my millennial tendencies. You drive me nuts too. Uh, yeah, I know I do, but you know, it's <laughs> it's crazy to me as you look at JP Jonathan Pluckluda, who would be remiss if we didn't mention in this conversation and how he looks at the young adults of Dallas, the millennials of Dallas, and he tells them we're going to change the world through Dallas, and they go, "Yes, we are." And I think there's something really powerful and Christ honoring in that. And so, if anything we said today made you go, "Gosh, more of that," just hear us say it's a truth that there's some some problems with this generation. But we hope that we'll also go. Hey, we really do believe you're gonna you're gonna lead us into the next into the next forefront of Christianity, and we believe you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adam, thanks for your time today, man. Love it. Um, thanks Glad for your ministry. Yeah. Um, thanks for your friendship and just uh, the way you lead uh, millennials. And definitely want to. I'm not and, thankful for the way that the final four football turned out last year. Just for the record. Mm, yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. You guys are ranked what two? I think in the preseason yeah. poll. Yeah, yeah, we're three. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we'll meet again. Yeah, yeah. We will. I'll see you in January. <laughs> but I definitely uh, just want to highlight again the men's and women's Bible studies. Um, obviously, um, the college ministry that's now kind of, uh, you know, existing side by side with the young adult ministry in the porch. Um, if you're in the DFW area, you are a millennial. Man, come check those things out on Tuesday nights. And uh, and then men's and women's Bible studies on Thursday nights. And then next month, uh, we're excited. It's going to be uh, September the 23rd, I believe, that Friday. During lunch, uh, Dr. Daryl Bach, who's the New Testament professor down at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's also the director of the Center for Christian Leadership at DTS and uh, Cultural Engagement. And we're going to talk to him about, hey, in a crazy world um, of a lot of different things flying around, how do we effectively engage our culture as light in the darkness? So we hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us. And we hope to see you next time.